Welcome to Belly Dance Alchemy, a captivating blend of the best elements of career and professional development and the magic of belly dance. I'm your host, Kelly Nottingham. Ready to make your day job sparkle and your dance life grow in new and inspiring ways? Let's see what we can brew up. Hello, lovely dancers. In case you didn't know from the videos that I have been posting this month on the podcast's Facebook page at Belly Dance Alchemy Podcast, I love Halloween. I love its historic Celtic roots, although we won't be discussing that today. We're talking about modern secular celebrations of Halloween today. I love making and wearing costumes. I love the cheese ball decorations. I love the movies and the TV shows and do not get me started on candy, especially gumballs. And I'm sure my dentist loves that I love gumballs. And I love the co-mingling of fear and excitement, of scary terror and the fun thrills that come with Halloween. And that's what we're discussing today, fear and how to make friends with it, how to use the benefits of fear to make our lives better and let go of fear that controls us too much or holds us back. Now, I'm not talking specifically about making friends with the stimulus that makes you afraid. Making friends with a spider on your porch is 100% optional, but the physical, psychological, mental, and emotional reactions you have to that stimulus, that's the fear we're discussing today. My brilliant sister, Rachel, says that fear and excitement are opposite sides of the same coin. The difference lies in our self-talk about what the feeling means and how we approach it. You can watch two people on a roller coaster and you know exactly what I mean. One person is sitting there terrified, screaming in fear, and the person right next to them is screaming out of joy and thrill and happiness. Because fear and happiness and excitement release some of the same chemicals into our brains, we can actually feel excitement or happiness or fun when in some possible fear-inducing circumstances, like a haunted house, for example. This is also why you should never start a romantic relationship with someone immediately after a really scary event. We see this trope in horror movies all the time. Consider this a piece of advice from your Auntie Kelly. Those chemicals are going to fade out, and you're going to be left with some weirdo that you've barely known for two hours, but you were strangely madly attracted to just an hour ago. So what we're going to be discussing today, four things, the benefits of fear and what it does for us, three ways fears can go haywire and control us too much, ways fear can show up in our lives, and we're going to look at four ways to make a friend with our fear. Now, I'm not talking about severe fear here. For panic disorders, social anxiety disorders, phobias, and PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, those need far more qualified guidance and support than my little podcast could possibly offer. Frankly, I strongly encourage anybody dealing with a high amount of fear go talk to a qualified counselor or therapist. It never hurts to get a third party to help you through a situation. Don't let your fear of talking to a therapist get in the way of dealing with your fear. So let's talk about some of the benefits of fear. Fear keeps us safe. It helps us to recognize dangers or possible threats. It helps us identify something that maybe our intuition is picking up on, but our logical brain isn't. You know that creepy, shivery, hair-on-the-back-of-your-neck feeling that goes on. 
It keeps us from taking dangerous risks. It gets us physically ready to deal with the challenge. It shows us where our comfort zone boundaries are. It helps us to plan proactively for challenges that might come up by identifying things we need to watch out for. It shows us what we truly care about and value. And therefore, it shows us where our next steps on our path may be. Sometimes our fear can actually point the direction where we need to go. Now, the problem is fear can go beyond being helpful to us. It can hold us back. It can keep us quiet, small, insecure, anxious, unwilling to take risks. So yes, fear can keep us safe, but it can also keep us too safe. We can start to see dangers or possible threats as bigger or more dangerous than they actually are. Instead of our brain learning from our intuition, it can just shut our brains down and we go into fear brain where we avoid anything that has to do with the fear at all. And therefore we learn nothing from the fear. Fear can keep us from taking any risks at all. It gets us physically ready to deal with the challenge, but the energy has nowhere to go if we just sit and stew in it, except to turn into internalized stress and higher blood pressure and insomnia and lower immune systems, and etc. It can keep us in ever-shrinking comfort zones. Our comfort zones don't necessarily always stay the same size. If we do nothing to keep the walls where they are, they will keep getting smaller. Fear shuts down our ability to plan proactively for challenges that might come up by completely overwhelming us with things we need to watch out for. Everything is dangerous. Fear can disguise what we truly care about and value by hiding behind surface fears. We're going to be talking about this in just a minute. And sometimes our fear can point the direction where we should go, but our fear itself tells us to go the other way. So there are lots of ways that fear can show up in our lives. So let's look at some ways that this can happen. When we tell ourselves untrue stories about the fear and justify how it helps us. So for example, being scared of snakes is keeping me alive. Or never driving on major highways will keep me from getting in a car accident. Or not talking about the problem with this work process ensures that people on the team will like me. So how are you justifying a fear that you may have? How do you justify not doing something that scares you? Another way fear can show up is when we identify ourselves as a blankophobe, which gives us permission to deny being able to change it. So someone could say, I'm arachnophobic, and therefore I will never be able to look at a spider without panicking. Thus, I don't have to ever try. Now, if you self-identify as a worrier or a quote-unquote neurotic, I am talking to you right here. Another way, when we don't examine the actual underlying fear and we just look at those surface fears instead. Now, recently I did a video on glossophobia, which is the fear of public speaking. What's interesting is that a lot of people who say that they have a fear of public speaking, it's not actually about the fear of public speaking. It's actually when they go down underneath that surface level fear of public speaking, it's about being judged. It's a fear of being perceived as an imposter. It's a fear of losing status with people that we admire. It's a fear of making unforgivable mistakes. 
is basically a fear of being excluded from a group we're a part of or want to be a part of. Now, fear doesn't always show up as terror. Fear can show up as resistance, procrastination, anxiety, deflection. So for example, I'll do this instead of that thing that scares me. Scapegoating. So it's somebody else's fault why I can't do the thing that I'm scared to do. Avoidance. Rationalizing not doing the thing. So there are lots of ways this can show up. So let's take a hypothetical situation here. How about a fear of retiring? Now, some of us may think that this couldn't possibly exist, but there are a lot of people who have this fear without really realizing it. Now, this could be retirement from a job. This could be retirement from dance, retirement from a troupe. Let's say that we have a dancer and she doesn't know what she's going to do after she retires. So she's put it off for years. She's decided in her work job that if she's forced to retire, She's just going to go ahead and get another job right away. And her boss keeps asking how much longer she's going to work. And she won't answer because she's scared to lose her sense of identity, her usefulness, her friendships and connections, that feeling of being an expert, um, feeling that her life has purpose, fear that she's just going to wither and die because she's heard of that happening to other people. The sad truth is that the fears that are underlying this, that she may not even realize are there, are holding her back from what could be a fantastic new chapter of her life. So how about a dance example? Let's say we have a dancer who's avoided invitations to perform as a soloist. She says it's because she prefers to perform in a troupe, but deep down she actually doesn't think she has the skill to perform a successful solo. She prides herself on being a hardworking student. She comes to troop rehearsal. She practices a lot. And when others ask her if she's going to do a solo in the next show, she has a litany of excuses why not. I would need a new costume. I'm already working on the troop choreo. I'm too busy at work to put together my performance. And on and on. She's envious, though, of other dancers who've gone from troop to solo performances, and her fear is causing her to become jealous of other dancers who maybe haven't been dancing as long as she has, but who are, according to her, progressing faster than she is because they're doing solos. She's considering just quitting dancing completely. Her skill isn't holding her back. Her fear is. We don't necessarily recognize the fear for what it is. It may feel mild, like a, like a sort of tickling thought in the back of our heads that we don't realize is as deep and widespread and impactful as it is. That fear may show up in many places in our lives, like an aspen tree for listeners that live in places where they have gorgeous aspen trees. These aspens have a system of many trees connected to one huge root system. So all of that root and all of these separate trees grow out of it, but that root is the big connection under the ground. Our fears spread and take over other areas of our lives. So here's an example. Being judged as unacceptable or unlovable. This is a really poignant example for a lot of people. The fear of being judged may just really show up as a major fear when the person is doing something highly visible, 
But in reality, it's going to show up in every situation, every conversation where a person is in contact with other people, and it can be debilitating. It may feel more severe in certain circumstances, but it's still lurking in the background all the time. Fear can also show up as stress, stress over losing our jobs, stress over financial security, stress about having to stand in front of the dance class instead of in the back corner as usual. Sometimes we don't think of stress as coming from fear about a situation or a possible outcome, but it's definitely there. When we're not scared about something, but we can't stop thinking and worrying about it, there's likely a fear of some kind lurking in the background. Now, the great news is there are ways to help us get control of our fear and use it in a way to help us make our lives bigger, more impactful, more fulfilling, and to use all of those chemicals and all of that energy for something great. So ways to make friends with our fear. Fear is an internal friend who's really trying to keep us safe, but sometimes gets a wee bit overprotective or obsessive or completely paranoid. Our fear can exaggerate issues or see danger where there really isn't that much or any danger. If we don't take a closer look at our fear, we can just accept it as truth and let it paralyze us into inaction or fight against a non-existent enemy or divert us into making different choices out of fear. Now, we've talked before about fight, flight, and freeze responses, and I think everybody's probably familiar with those. This is our brain's way of activating our entire being, our mind and our body to be ready to deal with a threatening situation. Now, even though many of our threatening situations aren't actually life-threatening anymore, our brains and our bodies still can respond as if they are life-threatening. I like to think of fight, flight, freeze responses to fear as active resistance, that's the fight, active avoidance, that's the flight, and passive resistance or complete surrender. That's the freeze. Sometimes our fear is trying to tell us something and we don't listen. We downplay our intuition. We unintentionally turn into Han Solo and say things like, I've got a bad feeling about this. But instead of stopping and trying to understand what may be behind that fearful feeling, we just power through. We try to make the fear go away by pushing through it, whether we're aware of the dangers or not, or we try to avoid it completely and don't ask questions about it. Now we can listen to our fear friend's advice and we can heed it and say, yeah, you got a good point. Maybe I need to do something different in this situation. Or we can listen and decide, you know, no thanks. I appreciate your input, but I'm not going to take your advice. Or we can say to our fear friend, no, I have a different interpretation of what's going on and I'm going to go ahead and do this anyway. And we can take some great lessons on making friends with fear from Halloween. Now, I personally very strongly believe that Halloween is a psychologically healthy holiday, both on the individual and societal levels. It's kind of a type of exposure therapy where we look at what scares us in a controlled, safe context so we can understand those fears more and so that the scary things aren't quite as scary anymore. We look at things that tend to frighten us, spiders, snakes, bats, monsters, villains, death, the unknown, our own vulnerability. It gives us a chance to sort of play with those ideas, to let them stew in our minds, to minimize their ability to scare us 
by really pulling them out and looking at them and decorating our houses with them and even dressing up like them. We get to put on a new persona to sort of mock or parody the parts of life that otherwise we don't like to think about. And we even make friends nowadays of the fearful creatures of Halloween. You can just look at movies and books and TV shows nowadays to see this everywhere where the scary vampire or zombie or witch has gotten a backstory that shows their motivations in an effort to build empathy with the audience. We're humanizing our fearful characters and we end up seeing the world from their perspective, which takes away some, if not all, of the fear. If you need an example of this that is so freaking adorable, watch the Hotel Transylvania series. Halloween is also sort of like another psychological term, sublimation, a way of channeling our energy away from negative outlets and toward positive ones. So instead of feeling scared of death and dying, we may dress up like the dead. We spend our energy putting up a styrofoam fake cemetery in our front yard. We watch movies about zombies and vampires and at least temporarily move our energy away from being afraid and toward curiosity, toward understanding. And with Halloween, sometimes toward laughter and candy and fun. We exert energy in the opposite direction that our fear would take us. We go straight toward the fear and we explore it. When we begin to break down the fear and understand what sits behind it, what drives it, we learn that maybe there actually is nothing to fear. We also learn about ourselves, what sits in our thoughts, our emotions, our past experiences, our assumptions, and how they've shaped the fear that we have now. We can listen to that fear and understand what it's trying to tell us about the situation and about ourselves. And we can then decide if we want to hold on to those ideas and those fears. I mean, maybe they're legitimate. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. And we can keep the ones that are valid and legitimate because they're valid and legitimate. Or we can learn something about ourselves and then let the fears go. So our fear can be our friend. But a lot of times we push it into the dark, unexamined and unquestioned. So the first important step to making friends with fear is to get curious about it. Bring it out into the light and befriend it. Ask it some questions. Hey, fear friend, what are you trying to tell me about this situation? What are you trying to tell me about myself? Where else do you show up in my life? And then you can ask yourself some questions. Where did this fear start? What is my history with this fear? What story or narrative or movie plotline have I created in my head to explain this fear? What is the root cause of the fear? What is the root issue? What am I afraid of losing when I get down to the very bottom of this fear? What situations bring out the fear? And how does it feel in my mind and my body? How are those chemicals affecting me? Now, if you aren't sure, start writing this down, even if it's just a few words when the fear hits to help you figure out where that fear is hitting you and how you respond to it. Honestly, in the years that I have spent myself working through some very severe phobias that I've had, I find that journaling and writing down what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what the situation was and what the outcome is 
can really, really help. So next up, after we've been curious about our fear, we address the fear head on. If our fear is telling us that there's a potential threat, for example, you may get laid off, is the fear actually true? What do you actually know about the situation? Is your lack of knowledge causing some of the fear? Now, if the fear may be true, what can you do to proactively prepare? Our fear response is designed to help us do something. So just being fearful isn't an end of its own. It's the preparation for whatever it is you need to do to deal with the situation. So for example, when people say that they're scared of losing their jobs and they dig down and say, I don't have enough money for savings and I'm not sure how I'm going to provide for my family, the next step is to figure out where you stand financially, pull together your current spending, pull together your income so you can see where you are. Active steps can help you use your fear chemicals and reactions in a productive way. You can also look at the pros and cons of holding on to the fear. What benefit are you getting out of the fear? Is it giving you a sense of community with other people that you can all commiserate together about it? Is it giving you a sense of security? Is it giving you a feeling of control in an uncontrollable world? Feeling fearful and worried gives you the illusion of action. But unless you use your fear in a productive way, you're just creating an illusion for yourself. It's not accomplishing anything except making you lose sleep and stressing you out. How has the fear held you back? What losses have you experienced or missed opportunities have passed you by because of your fear? How would your life be different without that fear? Our last step here, look for thoughts to challenge and create a new story or narrative or mental movie plot. Fear thoughts are powerful because they've created neural highways in our minds. Thoughts can go fast on these neural highways from point A to point B the more we think about them. And when we tie emotions to those thoughts, we go even faster. So you have to take a look at those thoughts. What are they saying? And then create a new series of thoughts to replace them. Give yourself or build evidence for why that new story and narrative is true. Maybe you've dealt with a similar situation with something else that scared you in the past and you were able to figure it out and handle it. Maybe you've known other people who've dealt with the same fear successfully. When the fear thought pops up, consciously shift to the new story. Now, this takes a lot of time to rewire these thinking patterns, but it is absolutely possible. Often, because the original fear story isn't actually true or it only has one or two proofs of its validity. But what if there's something we actually want to do, but we're scared to do it? Let's say you've been thinking about going back to school so you can start a whole new career, but you're already mid-career. On those days when the sun is shining and you've had enough coffee and you're annoyed with your current job, going back to school seems totally doable. But after dark, when our fear brain is often at its busiest and most persuasive, the whole prospect is 110% terrifying. If the fear is holding you back from doing something you want to do, here's a way to reframe it. Maybe you're fearful because you care so much about it. Maybe you're fearful because it's important to you, not because it's inherently scary. 
I mean, if it weren't important to you, you'd probably be like, oh, should I go back and change careers and go back to school for something? Meh, whatever. The fact that you're scared about it, but you still can't stop thinking about it is a huge neon sign that perhaps that's exactly the direction you need to go. And our fear friend can really help us out in this situation by showing us precisely what we're worried about if we take the time to examine it, which means we can take proactive steps then to prepare for the possibility of that fear coming true. So an example here, very early in my career, I was asked to lead a workshop at a corporation with a team that was not working well together. And by not working well together, I mean They would get into screaming matches and name calling on the job. It was great. The leaders of the group brought me in, asked me to help with the situation. They told me about some of the challenges that were going on. They talked about some examples of the issues that they were seeing. But honestly, you never know how these sessions are going to go until you get in there, especially if there's a lot of antagonism and a lot of emotions like there was with this group. I was so worried about this session. I was terrified. I had prepared what I wanted to say to them. I re-prepared what I wanted to say. But frankly, I was scared that one, the whole group was just going to blow up and start throwing things at each other. Or two, that I was going to completely miss the mark on what the actual issue was and the group wouldn't get anything out of it. I prepared for weeks, trying to make the presentation as good as I could, rehearsing it, but the nagging fear was still there. What if this isn't the actual issue? What if I can't keep control of the room? My poor little fear friend was working so hard to get me ready for the session, but up to that point, I hadn't really been listening. So instead of focusing on my presentation, I stopped and I looked at ways to deal with the issues that were possibly gonna come up that my fear was based on. How would I deal with the group saying that the main topic wasn't the actual issue? Well, I can try to cover everything or I can ask them at the beginning to identify what they think the problems are. I came up with some practical ways to get the group to open up and I rehearsed what I could say and do to get the energy in the room calmer if needed. The result was the session went really well, which is great, but it was a huge learning opportunity for me. Because had I not listened to my fear and just barreled on ahead, that workshop would have been a disaster. My fear, once I actually sat down and examined it, wasn't about getting hit upside the head with a stapler. It was about one of my deepest values, which is helping others. I was worried that I wouldn't be able to help them. And if I couldn't help them, I might not get opportunities to help other people either because nobody would ask me to come back and do workshops again. So once that was out in the open, it was so much easier to address that root issue. How can I help these people effectively? That was a question I could stop being afraid of and start to get excited about. Okay, so we've covered a ton in this episode. Let's take this one for a final spin. Think about a fear that you have or that you experience regularly or predictably. Step number one is to get curious about that fear. Bring it out into the light and befriend it and ask it some of those questions we talked about. What are you trying to tell me about the situation? What are you trying to tell me about myself? Where else do you show up in my life? Number two, address the fear head on. What do you actually know about the situation? 
Is your lack of knowledge causing some of the fear? And if the fear may be true, what can you do to proactively prepare for it? That fear response is trying to help us do something. So what can you do? Number three, look at the pros and cons of holding on to the fear like you do now. What benefit do you get out of it? How has the fear held you back? And how would your life be different without the fear? Number four, our last step. Look for thoughts to challenge and create a new story or narrative. So if you're a worrier or a blankophobe, what new identity can you take on that gives you the power instead of giving your power to the fear? If you didn't have the fear, what would the next step in your storyline or your narrative be? How can you take one step toward that? All right, everyone, that's it for this episode. Have a wonderful, safe Halloween, a blessed Samhain if you celebrate, and Feliz Dia de Muertos. Bye, everybody. Well, thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to this podcast and share the magic with your dance friends. If you want more, you can sign up for our mailing list at bellydancealchemy.org. Or you can email me your suggestions and feedback. I would love to hear from you at bellydancealchemypodcast at gmail.com. Bye.